Evening. Good to be with you. So we're going to turn. We're in a series in 2 Corinthians this spring. And I'm going to read uh, 2 Corinthians 3 and say a few things about it. You can follow along with me. I'm going to read the whole chapter. So Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And this is where we, we pick up from verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? He's been defending his authority to them, as we heard last week. Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are a letter, letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything that's coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen. Let me pray. Lord God, bless this word to us. Bless our time together this evening as we seek to behold your glory, uh, to behold the glory of your word, uh, to receive it, and to live by it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What's, the, what's the most beautiful thing you've seen? Not person you've seen, thing, place that you've seen. I'll come back to this at the end. Beauty, beholding beauty and being transformed by it. I mean, I think, I think while I was uh, like backpacking through Europe one summer in college, and um, and uh, you know, I remember Rome. Rome is good this way because it's such a mess as a city. Just, you're know, like wandering through these medieval alleyways, smelling like Vespa fumes, and then you just come on like things of like uh, immense beauty, right? You like walk into the the, um, the Pantheon, you look up at the ceiling, or uh, you climb the Dome of St. Peter's, look down on the inside, or, or like uh, Michelangelo's Pieta. I'm not really an appreciator of art, uh, but Michelangelo works um, for me, um, where you just say, here is like, here's, yeah, uh, it takes a lot, I guess, uh, the hard heart when it comes to art, but you, you just see like here is uh, emotion wrought in stone. Right, beauty, but there's, there's greater beauty than what we what we create with our hands, uh, the buildings we put up, the paintings we paint. Uh, you know, really, it's like I reflect like what is the most beauty I've seen 
Uh, I remember when I was younger, uh, traveling in Scotland, um, visiting family, and uh, you know, Glencoe, Glencoe in the rain. You go to the highlands of Scotland, go to Glencoe. And then my uncle's house, I remember we drove into my uncle's house in the Isle of Skye uh, in the rain at night. It rains most of the time in Scotland, so in the rain, you didn't, you didn't see anything. And, um, and then waking up in the morning and, and uh, looking out the window, and you know, there was this like, uh, there's a, you know, my uncle lived on the edge of a, a sea lock, an estuary of the sea. There was this cliff, 100 foot cliff on the other side, and waterfalls coming off of it from the rain from the night before. And then in the background, the, the Cullen Mountains, if you're a really intrepid hiker, and you don't mind risking death, go climb the Cullens in the sky. This beauty, God's beauty, right? God's glory written in his creation. If you had those experiences, have you, have you beheld that? Or that beauty? We'll come back to that, but think on that a little bit. Uh, but before I get to that, I want to talk about uh, three things. <coughs> First, law. Second, gospel. And third, God's glory. That's what we'll come back to beauty. First, law. And second, gospel. And third, God's glory. So first, law. Uh, Paul here, he's in this uh, discussion with the Corinthians. You know, he's been rebuking them. They've been challenging his authority. And uh, that's how he segues. That's where we start in the beginning of chapter 3. He's talking, do I need a letter of recommendation? And he's been there. He lived in Corinth. He helped build this church. He planted these seeds. Does he need a letter of recommendation? No, they are his letter of recommendation. You yourselves are a letter of recommendation written on our hearts. Right? They have delivered uh, 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 the message of reconciliation written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God. And then he gets into this not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. This is a very fundamental way to understand all of scripture. Namely, law and gospel. Law and gospel. And this chapter brings it out very strongly. What does he mean by the tablets of stone? I thought that out as a question. What are the tablets of stone? The ten literal tablets of stone. That's what he means. Moses, this is just to give you some Old Testament background. This is Exodus 34. He's, he's expounding on this passage of Scripture. So Moses, he's there on Mount Sinai, receiving the law of God. The law. And he went up on the mountain to talk to God, and he comes down with the tablets, and Moses' face is shining, literally shining. And the people are afraid. Like, what would you do if Jay went up on a mountain and came down and his face shone? Right? You would be disturbed for him. And, uh, and what they asked Moses to do, Moses didn't realize it. What they asked Moses to do was to, to veil himself. So Moses would go and he would speak to God directly. And then he would veil himself and he served as an intermediary between God and the people. Right? But when, what, what did Moses receive on the mountain? He received the law. And what is the law? I mean, it doesn't sound very good from how Paul describes it here. It's what he means when he says in verse 6, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. It's what he means in verse 7, the ministry of death carved in letters of stone. And he juxtaposes it with the ministry of the spirit. In verse 9, the ministry of condemnation, which he juxtaposes with the ministry of righteousness. Now, so there's this law and the gospel. And so what is the, the law? Well, the, the, the old covenant made on Mount Sinai between God and the people of Israel, those words that we find moral commands, beautiful moral truth related in the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law in the first five books of the Bible. What was its outcome? Because the, 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 the terms of the old covenant were if you're obedient, 
then you'll be blessed. And if you're disobedient, you'll be judged. And the whole of the Old Testament is this cycle of disobedience leading to judgment, leading to uh, repentance, leading to restoration, leading to a time of blessing, which ultimately leads to a time, again, of renewed failure to keep the covenant. Right? It's a pretty grim history. Have you ever read the book of Judges? It's a cycle. Right? What is the old covenant like, the law like? I mean, it's, it's like almost everything we encounter in life. You are being judged on performance. You're being judged on performance. And whereas, you know, Princeton judges you on, on performance, but Princeton is not judging you by the absolute beautiful moral purity of a holy God who created you and finding you want. I mean, be thankful. Princeton's just finding you wanting for how smart you are or how hardworking you are uh, or whatever it is. The law searches the heart and because it doesn't give us the power to keep it. And so Paul calls it, even though it is true, true, and in that way also beautiful, Nonetheless, it's a ministry that merely confirms to us death. Not that we were dead before we knew it, but it just makes it clear. I remember this when I was, uh, I was raised in a Christian household. My father's a preacher. And um, I wasn't, the veil was over my heart. Right? Paul uses this language. Their minds were hardened to this day. When they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. I remember this, like, you know, the, the Christian faith uh, was communicated to me with such power. But what it communicated to me was my own uh, inadequacy. It, it, it's deeper than just like it made me feel guilty. It's deeper than that because it showed me what was true and I saw that it was true. It's not that even, I even disagreed. Like, I could see that what the Bible had to say about how I ought to live my life was true. That I should live my life that way. And yet I saw in my own hearts that I was far from it. The desire of my heart wasn't the desire of God's heart. I remember sitting on the school bus in middle school. I would have been like 13, I think. Right, what, what is the school bus for if not to teach you how lost you are and need to a savior? <laughs> and I remember sitting on the school bus and staring out like forlornly out the window, you know, that sort of existential, like, uh, one of those moments. Was <laughs> sorry. Was it raining? Um, no, this was in America, so sorry. <laughs> sunny. And, uh, and I just remember feeling that weight. Um, I knew what the truth was. And I, even, and I knew people, my family, my church, who loved the Lord. Right? Their hearts weren't hardened. Their hearts were hardened. They didn't have a veil. They saw the good things of God and loved them. And responded. They had some measure, of some degree of glory in their lives. I remember, but yet, it was like there was a chasm between me and them. Right? I didn't know how to get there. I wasn't there. I had been shown. I was being continuously shown the way. But still the veil was over my heart. That's, this is the law. It brings condemnation. You understand your own sin. You understand how you're rebelling against God. And in that, it merely shows you your spiritual death, your spiritual bondage, that you are not free. In the language there, verse 17, that you are not free. 
or rather you were a slave, a slave to what? To sin. I remember feeling that back when I was 13. So that's law. Fun times. Now what's our normal response to it? Escapism. Harden our hearts more. Hide from it. Hide. What can we do? It's the ministry of that. But that's law. The second part is gospel. Is gospel. This is so. What has Paul been sent to do? It's not to bring the ministry of death, but rather it is to bring the, as a minister of the new covenant. He is not sufficient, but his sufficiency, or rather our sufficiency, the sufficiency of those who brought the gospel to Corinth, is in God, who has made them ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit of the new covenant. What is the new covenant? Where in the Old Testament would you go to find the new covenant? My test of biblical literature. Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Six. That's what you want to say. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Jeremiah, the interns. If you're a PCF intern, you need to be able to answer questions. Or former intern. Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36. What is promise? Because it's not, it's not like there was the old covenant. And no one had ever, it had ever, never occurred to them that it was the ministry of death and condemnation. Even before this, long before Sinai, Abraham had faith. And it was credited to him as righteousness. God's covenant of grace to show mercy to his people goes all the way back to immediately after the fall. It's <coughs> promised to Eve that uh, her offspring will uh, crush the head of the serpent. Right there, there's the promise that forgiveness will be brought. And even as the law shows us our need for a savior, shows us our sin, yet always there was promised, there was laid before the people of God, the new covenant. What is the new covenant? That I will write it on your heart. I will take that Ezekiel, I will sprinkle you and cleanse you from your impurity. I will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Paul is evoking that language here. We've written on tablets of human hearts. In Jeremiah, uh, I will make a new covenant between you and I. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. All will know the Lord. I will write it on their hearts. Not like the covenant which you broke. God will maintain it. This is what was promised, and this is what Paul preaches. This is what Christ accomplished. This is the gospel, the good news. The ministry of righteousness. How is this ministry of death to be answered with this ministry of righteousness found in Jesus Christ? And what is that? It's that he has provided the sacrifice once for all. The old covenant had the whole temple system. All the sacrifices all of which were inadequate. In Christ we have one great high priest who laid down his life on the cross for your sins. A, a righteous man without sin, God's own son, such that there is true forgiveness. I was just reading, I was like uh, working through this, um, you know, uh, Calvin in French. In French they used the phrase, the parole, of, la, I can't pronounce French, la parole de Dieu, the parole of God. It's like forgiveness from God. This is what is the ministry that Paul has, that we have, if we are in Christ. No more condemnation. No more death. Christ has paid the price. Therefore, we have such a hope, and we are very bold. And Paul is drawing the, the example. He's showing that in the, the Old Covenant, which is the thing that was passing away, that has been brought to an end, it had such glory that Moses' face shone when he came down from the mountain. Moses' face shone. How much greater is the glory of the ministry of righteousness? 
ministry of the Spirit. How much greater is its glory that we can behold? And that brings me to my third point, which is glory. We're coming back to beauty. Because this is Paul's exhortation. He says to be bold. Take the veil off your heart. Or rather, come before the Lord and pray that he, by the Spirit, might tear that veil away through Christ. He's died for you. You can approach with confidence. The people of Israel were afraid. This is our response to seeing the beauty and the truth of God. We are afraid of it and we want to hide from it. As the people of Israel did at Mount Sinai. But this is the invitation Paul gives. He says, come with boldness. You have hope. Turn to the Lord. Verse 16. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This is, my, this is a much misused verse in American history. Where the spirit, this, it's on the masthead actually of the Indianapolis Star newspaper, um, the city where my parents live, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This is not freedom in the American sense of political freedom. We define freedom as doing that which we want. Paul is saying, we think that's freedom. Really, it's just another form of bondage. The freedom that we need, we all need if we search our hearts, is the freedom from sin and the freedom to live for righteousness. It's crossing that chasm that I felt those many years ago sitting on the school bus, that chasm that was between me with the veil still over my heart and those who love the Lord who are being transformed from one degree to another into the glory of the Lord, by the glory of the Lord, into the image of the glory of the Lord. It's that chasm being bridged. And there is freedom. Do you know that freedom? Is the veil still over your heart? Or have you tasted the freedom that comes from the Spirit of the Lord? The freedom of forgiveness. The freedom of adoption as sons and daughters of the Lord our God. Of entry into his kingdom, into his church in this world. Of the mission that we have. The mission of what? Uh, one of being ministers of the new covenant. Of the ministry of the spirit, not the ministry of death. Have you entered into that? And how do we do it? This is such, verse 18, I love this verse. This is like a, the center point of how to live the Christian life. We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. How do you grow as a Christian? How do you grow as a Christian? This is it, behold the glory of the Lord. It's not one, the message we give is not one, I mean, yes, the law was true. Don't murder people. Don't covet. These things are all true. But what we point our hearts to and others to is to behold the glory of the Lord. There's a reason why the, the, the Bible is not written as a systematic theology or as a confession of faith, useful as those things are. It's written, what, as a testimony of what God has done through history in saving a people for himself over thousands of years. We, we come to know God's word through this grand story, and we come to know the good news of the gospel, specifically in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? How do people come to faith, and how do they grow in faith? It's by looking at who Jesus is and what he has done. And in that, we see glory. We see glory. We see God's power, his might, at the same time, his mercy, his compassion, and his grace. But thinking back to those you know, years ago, uh, I remember that day visiting my uncle in the Isle of Skye, and the, the cliff, and the waterfalls, and the, the, the hills, um, and the sheep, they're always sheep. <laughs> and uh, it's just idyllic. Well, I remember going, uh, my, uncle's, my uncle's a pastor as well, and um, we were going, he had these three little congregations, um, tiny little buildings along this uh, peninsula on the, the western side, southwest side of uh, the Isle of Skye. 
And so, you know, on, on the Lord's Day, you'd go from one church to the, to the next. And the last one was like the end of the peninsula. So it's like the 10 people who live there, Port Noir. The 10 people who live there, and you're in this tiny little building, and it was so overheated because like all the entire popu population of 10 are all there in this tiny little building, even though it's not a warm country. But so you're there sweating away, and you know, my uncle's there preaching at great length. Um, right at you, like this, you know, I mean, you're like this, this like little huddle of you. And, uh, and uh, they sang in Gaelic, it's like a, traveling back hundreds of years in time. In truth, it's still a Gaelic-speaking part of the Isles. And um, the most glorious thing God was doing in sky was not in the hills, not in the waterfalls, but on the hearts of those people. Right? What are you writing with? Are you writing letters on tablets of stone? Do that literally. That's a, a form of perversion of the good news of Jesus Christ. You can just proclaim law to people. You can just proclaim condemnation. What are you writing with? Paul was writing with the spirit of the living God on tablets of human hearts. That's what he was writing. I had this uh, some time back. I ran into... Um, uh, friends of ours, a uh, family, um, he was the uh, director of MANA back when my wife was a student. And, uh, you know, we were chatting on Nassau Street. And I remember saying to him, you know, Christina, my wife, she came to Princeton a baby Christian. I mean, you know, she went to church on her own as a high schooler. And I'm so thankful, you know, the church, her church back down south in Raleigh or Gardner, North Carolina. First Baptist Garner, um, the seeds that they planted in her life. But you know, she didn't, she, she went to a magnet school, she didn't fit in with the church. She was the only Korean in a church of a thousand white people. And, you know, I mean, it was, uh, she was still a baby Christian when she came to Princeton. And really, it was through Manna's ministry that she went from, like, her life could have gone different ways. But it went to be with uh, a strong believer, knowing the Lord. In that context at that time, through that friend's ministry, the uh, uh, New Covenant was written on her heart, right? On the tablet of her heart. I, I just said to him, like, I, she owes you, and I owe you. How could you repay a debt like that of someone who shares the good news, the ministry of reconciliation with you? How could you repay such a debt? How would you want to? You could repay Princeton's debt. Like, if you're on financial aid, you give a few million dollars to Princeton, they will consider it repaid. I mean, they'll come back and ask you for more money for the rest of your life. Um, but, you know, Princeton, that's like, there is a dollar value attached. There is no dollar value attached to the, to, to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There's no dollar value attached to the freedom found when the, the Spirit takes away the veil and brings you to an end of yourself and to faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord. There is nothing that can pay for that. It is a, uh, a letter written on the human heart. Are you writing on human hearts. Not literally, this is metaphorical language. Are you, well, you're a surgeon one day, perhaps. But are you writing on human hearts? Are you writing on human hearts? And not merely, I mean, at a minimum, in a general sense, we feel in our culture, well, you should be kind to other people, and your legacy is, your, life, your impact on other people's lives. This is the legacy that we all need, that we would know Christ in his death and in his resurrection. So if you are a follower of Christ, write letters with the Spirit, not on tablets of stone, 
but on the tablets of human hearts. If you're not a believer, if you feel that veil is still over your heart, I would ask that you would come, come to Christ, and pray that it would be removed. Receive the Spirit and allow your heart to be softened. That you too might know what it is to have freedom, freedom from condemnation, and freedom to righteousness. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that you've left us not merely trying to escape the ministry of condemnation, the law given on Sinai, true as it is. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the gift of your Son, our Savior, a plan of salvation worked out from the beginning of the world. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would... Uh, uh, I pray for all of us here that we would be those who walk by the Spirit in freedom, spiritual freedom, as children, as your children. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all those who wrote uh, the words of reconciliation, the words of forgiveness, the words of grace, the words of new life, the words of hope, who wrote those things boldly on our hearts. And Lord God, may we likewise be used as Paul was, and Apollos, and others in, in Corinth, may we be used as your ministers. We are insufficient, but you are sufficient. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.